interesting. You talk to vendors, like, you know, I was talking to my lawyer the other day, like, this was a really difficult and monumental lift for them, right? Like to get people to work from home and to try to promote collaboration and get security concerns and so on. Fortunately for us, a half an hour after we announced, which is like March 10th or something like that, that we were going virtual in response to this, you know, people were up and running at home. Maybe they grabbed an extra monitor on their way out and were fully up and running within minutes. For a lot of organizations, that's not the case, but I think the deeper underlying aspect is that just like buyers, our people want the flexibility to be their best self, to work in their best environment and so on. Hi friends, welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now that was Justin Gray. Justin's the CEO of LeadMD. And this episode, our conversation is focused on what Justin calls hypervalue sales. Now, I love talking about value and sales. And in this episode, Justin and I talk about how to move value to the front end of your sales conversations. Justin says the sellers need to ask and understand what is it that only you can provide to the buyer and bring that to the forefront of your conversations. Justin and I will dig into how you can make that happen, and he shares strategies that you can use to bring hyper-value to your buyers earlier in their buying journey. That all translates into credibility and influence that will help you win the deal. So all this and much, much more. But before I get to Justin, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it. If you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. Thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Justin, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's been a while since we spoke. It has. So uh, you're weathering, so to speak, the storm in Arizona. Yeah, we are. A lot. I guess a lot's changed since we spoke last. Yeah. So um, family's healthy and safe. Yeah, that that I can't complain about. So we've got. Uh, probably when we talked last, I probably had one. Now I've got two. So we've got a seven-month-old. <laughs> A oh, wow. uh, daughter and then a three-year-old son who is like, I don't know, 23, I think. Yeah, well, yeah. You know, it's funny. It doesn't matter when, what generation, when you have kids. Um, yeah, everybody says the same thing yep. when yep. they're young. They seem like an adult. <laughs> uh, we remember friends who um, their daughter didn't speak for a while. Yeah, Ooh. she was almost like two and a half or something before she really started talking. But then it oh, wow. came out in like complete, fully formed sentences, right. <laughs> like speaking to an adult. <laughs> yeah, no, his, his vocabulary is insane. Yeah. Well, that's good. So you said you can't complain about that. What can you complain about? Oh, you know, honestly, not much. Um, I think this, it, uh, this it's going to sound bad to say, but this has been a really exciting time, I think, from a marketing standpoint, simply the, because... The pandemic. Yeah, the pandemic. Um, simply because it's <laughs> yeah, we're gonna write. We wanna get that quote so I can we can put that yeah, on exactly. social media. Put that on the on the masthead. <laughs> right. um, you know, people have really started. Uh, I think a lot of people hit the the reset button and really embraced a lot of the things that we know we should have been doing forever, and and you could kind of skate by uh, not doing those, and and this has really forced everyone to put the customer at the center of everything that they do and, and really focus on, are we providing something that's mission critical? And do we know what that mission criticality sure. even is to that? Sure. Time? So in that way, it's it's been very positive. Well, before we jump into that, so tell people a little bit about M- LeadMD, if they're not familiar with you. 
Yeah, for sure. So LeadMD is a full-service performance marketing consultancy. And really what that means. Performance marketing, yeah, yeah. What that mean? So that means that we focus on exactly what I was kind of hinting at there, which is what is the true objective of the organization and how is marketing providing outcomes that that influence that objective? All too often, marketing is clicks and and attention and quote-unquote engagement and so on. But when you look at the stats that are out there, they're pretty abysmal. Uh, Forrester has like a 2018 stat that that states that 1% of all marketing-driven quote-unquote leads actually convert into revenue. Um, and 1%. So, 1%. Do you think that's changed since then? I don't think it's changed substantially. Uh, I think, it, you know, like, as I said, like a lot of leading or the foundational items that, that people needed to embrace are finally getting embraced. The whole ABM uh, movement, it was a lot of like flash and, and, and bang in the pan, but not a lot of true organizational behavior change. And I think you're starting to see some of that actually take root now. Um, but on the whole... Marketing is the first that gets cut, and it's the first that gets cut for a reason, uh, because people can't draw, or we haven't done a good job of, of communicating what marketing's true value is, and then providing the optic into how is marketing influencing the business? Like, why should we spend our dollar there, and, and why should that really be the first place uh, that we spend our dollar? So I think that's starting to change. How do you help companies turn marketing into a performance organization? Yeah, I think the first question is always why, right? Like, why do we want to do this? Why, why, why have you done that? We, we historically started from RevOps, which is really, you know, a, a discipline that was created by the movement of marketing into a software-driven discipline, right? Like the marketing automation uh, boom and, and giving marketing its own platform and really transitioning marketers from vendor managers to a discipline that had to create things internally launch initiatives internally and then measure the results of those initiatives. So coming from RevOps, you, you, you have this notion of we're going to buy X, Y, and Z, and it's going to yield all these great results, uh, which of course doesn't happen. And so the, meaning, the, the and by X, Y, and Z meaning like your tech stack marketing automation. Yeah, exactly. The, the marketing and sales technology, um, that, that purchase alone really does nothing, but often ampl- the amplifies gaps that organizations have. So there's a lot of, you know, someone's got their finger on the button and now we can send a million emails or, you know, a million messages out to folks and Which they there's do. a lot of danger in that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so it really asking the why of what are we trying to achieve? Why, why do you need to purchase this? You know, do you really understand at, at its core who your buyer is, the value that you're providing to them, the messages and information and education that they need? Uh, to empower their organization and, and just, you know, really getting those those fundamental dependencies in place so that you can, quote unquote, scale a marketing engine, which I think is where most people start. Uh, but we walk them back to the beginning and, and you know, help them make critical decisions uh, along the way there. So if you were to look at sort of the landscape and say, OK, we got this report in 2018, um, which yeah, I mean, if only 1% of marketing generated leads are contributing to revenue, that's obviously problematic. Mm-hmm. Is um, yeah, it's sort of as you do, sort of walk it back. Let's what is the beginning? What's the first thing that you know the CMO needs to look at to say, yeah, we want to make a real contribution here? Yeah, I, I think it it all has to start with relationship to the buyer. And by buyer, I mean, you know, someone moving through the, the stages of a customer relationship. And, and certainly after 
that customer relationship is formed, I, I think marketing needs to curate and, and manage that relationship as well. Um, so th- that's, if, if you ask most organizations, the one thing that they will agree on is that they have a data problem and data is our representation of how well we know that, that buyer and customer. So I think we have a customer relationship problem and that's always where our, our first focus is, is going to start, whether it's just understanding the work that they've already done and maybe they're in a good spot there or the much more predominant, which is, no, we need to really do some some further exploration there and understand who that customer is again, what they fundamentally need. And that's, that's the benefit that, that this pandemic has brought is you know immediately everyone that was not mission critical was cut. So whether you wanted to or not, you just took a really large NPS survey. Um, and all of the attrition that happened in that process, I think was a, a, a big wake up call. Um, in, you know, inversely, day two, everyone wanted to immediately reach out to their customer and say, you know, how are you doing? How are you getting through this? How is this changing your business and so on? And for a lot of organizations, that was just a motion that they couldn't run. They didn't know who they should be talking to over there or if they knew that person, they didn't have a relationship in place. And so that that's that's a problem and, and immediately the first fire that we want to put out. Well, when you talk about they didn't know who to talk to, marketing didn't know who to talk to, is you're talking about right. them providing messaging to sales to communicate to the buyer or marketing talking directly to the buyer as well? Yeah, I mean, we're relevant. Marketing has to be talking directly to the buyer as well. You know, most most organizations, uh, certainly that we deal with, have some sort of a tie-in or benefit to the marketing department. Um, so, you know, what, let's take a software provider for for example. Like, mm-hmm. oftentimes that software it, it has legs in marketing. It, it, you know, the marketer marketers within that org are using them. Maybe it's a CMO. That CMO and the CMO of the organization that, that provided the solution should have some level of a relationship. Um, they should know the other key uh, you know, buying or members of the buying committee within that org and should be aligning and orchestrating the same folks within their organization to make those connections. So does your executive team you know, have, have a good relationship w- with theirs? Do, are you helping them at the practitioner level? Uh, how are you supporting their their usage? That was the other thing. Like, if number one is the solution mission critical. Number two, how do we get more value out of the solutions that we already have? Those are the two questions across the board that we see organizations asking. So, do we have a line of sight into how they perceive our value? Do do we understand what they are relying on us for? Do we understand the true reason why they even purchased our product solution, whatever it is, in the beginning? <laughs> Um, and those not. are all, yeah, it, all, most often not. And that goes into measuring usage versus measuring impact. Most organizations measure usage. How many logins, how many activities, how many, you know, if, whatever that, uh, if it's an email solution, how many emails did they send last month? Um, not indicative of the impact that your solution is making over there. And so um, that's, a, again, a, a really loud wake-up call. Well, and that's also not understanding that is is a failure on the part of sales as well. I mean, it's Correct. chances are they probably didn't win the business if they didn't if they didn't know what that was. I mean, usually it customers depends. have. Honestly, I find that you know oftentimes initiatives get filtered down into features and benefits at at a buying level, um, at least at the exploration. You know, the time of exploration. Can you do X, Y, and Z? And so. So well, I, agree. I think but I think the challenge for sellers is they have to yes they have to say what is they have to find out what is the one thing because there's always one thing yep 
there's always one thing that's driving that decision. You need to find out what it is because that's to your point precisely. That's six months down the line. It's not about usage. It's what is the value they're getting from that one thing. Correct. Correct. And and then stewarding that. So even if sales does a great job at that, how do we capture that in a way that immediately informs the onboarding process, the customer success process, the customer service process? How do we steward that as our North Star throughout that that customer journey? But I think you also raise another interesting point to get back to is, is that, and I see this, and I, I guess I haven't been thinking enough about it here in the last six months to a year, is yeah, is I don't see enough of the executive teams making those relationships with their counterparts. Right. Agreed. And that's such a powerful, again, like when you look at the the fundamentals of ABM and kind of that whole movement, that that was a really key element to ABM, right? The whole orchestration and threading right. within uh, uh, customer organizations or, or any organization, partner, vendor, whatever. Um, that, that, that was such a great element there. And it kind of got pushed aside to your point. And, and we, we need to embrace that as, as fundamental. If for exactly the reasons you talk about. I mean, first of all, it's really important with retention, I believe. Absolutely. <laughs> is that if you don't have those relationships and it just gets down to usage, as you talked about, uh, yeah, you're going to be in a bit of a hurt right there. And they change all the time as well, right? Like the, you look at the the average tenures out there and people are, are taking new positions all the time. Now we've got this element of folks that have been furloughed and let go. So that's a relationship that has to be actively curated. And, and again, we focus marketing and sales so much on net new acquisition. And you look at everyone's comp plans and they're all centered around that, that concept. But what we're losing, you know, what's slipping right through our fingers uh, is is driven by the fact that we're not incentivizing people to to you know steward that relationship and and ensure that that goal is passed along to each element of uh, of our organization. So yeah. I think I think a lot of things have to change there. All right. So one of the topics you've been talking about, sort of following what we've gone through here recently, is is and I think you make the point it should have existed prior to the pandemic, but now more focus on it is what you're calling hyper value sales. So what do you what do you mean by that? Yeah, I think it, so. Let's get back to the fundamental of ABM, right? Like we 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 should know if we know if we've done an exercise to really define our addressable market, our ideal customers within that market, then we know that we can make an investment within those organizations, and it's going to be worth our time. Again, one of probably the most valuable thing for me that that ABM and the concept brings. Mm-hmm. So if we know that those are are valuable organizations, they're the types of orgs that we are. Our solution fits really well with. We provide just mission critical solutions for. Then, how do we? What? What? Why do we put so many filters and gates in front of engaging with those organizations? Like, you have to, you know, buy in this certain way. You have to pay us money. You know, and that's fundamentals of, of capitalism, commerce. I get it. But if you're, if you know that that is a great customer for you, then mm-hmm. why not make the investment earlier within that cycle? Why not enable them around the purchase of your solution? Why not give them the things that we're normally holding off, maybe uh, providing late stage, you know, once someone's already signed a contract and they're into uh, uh, onboarding or whatever, then we give them these really helpful assets and tools. Why not give those to them up front? Why not give them them access to our solution up front? Yeah, so 
Uh, I think you saw this with with a lot of you know what I would call compassionate offers uh, as a result of the, the <laughs> pandemic. Right. Um, Educational know, software. Right. Free trial. Yeah. Zoom. Right. Like, hey, take this platform, use it for three months, and we're gonna we're gonna really focus on, during that time frame on making you successful with that platform. If you're providing that to a group of folks that you already know are going to be great clients for you, what's the harm in doing so? In fact, the conversion rate off of a marketing or sales activity along those lines is so astronomically higher than that 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 terrible abysmal one percent that we talked about. Like, why aren't we leading with those types of activities, those assumptive purchase activities? I think you know the, the the again the pandemic opened up the door to be able to do so. But your your great organizations have been doing that for a long time. You look at someone like a Slack, um, you know, hey, let's get them hooked on drugs, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what Slack did. And and you know, to this day, it's the one solution. You know, we 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 spent a lot of money on technology. It's the one that's ever been driven, you know, unanimously across the organization. We want to use this. It's great. We've got to get it. And now we pay Slack a decent amount of money every month. So, you know, I think it's just that mentality. Right. But what you're talking about, though, is, is not a freemium model. It's, it's, uh, it's much, more, much more deliberate than that. Yeah, exactly. In some, in some cases, it's, it's freemium. In, in other cases, it's, I mean, in all cases, it is education and enablement. So you take the, the like, let's rewind to marketing automation, like 2008. You know, no one knew what they were committing to at that time. You know, you get this platform and suddenly you look under the covers. And it's like, oh, what's your lead scoring methodology? Well, no, no one really had a robust system mm-hmm. of lead scoring methodology. So I think Barketo, for, for example, did a, in a HubSpot still does this, um, did a great job of giving tools to that buyer to show them like, hey, when you when you actually are to the point where you need to purchase a, a technology like this, these are the things that you're going to need to have in place. In fact, go go use them with whatever you're using right now. Um, and so like, you know, you saw a lot of their content, you know, that I think John Miller did a great job of, of creating and, and uh, disseminating was about preparing the buyer for that purchase. And that they, they could also realize some value of it even without you know, buying that that piece of technology. So mm-hmm. that's really at the heart of what I'm talking about. Yeah, I was thinking um, those are good examples too, because I mean, certainly in pandemic, we've got as you talk about Zoom, educational software, other mm-hmm. other applications. You know, people had this this crushing need that is identified. Right. Um, but it's thinking about a more sort of assuming we get past this period of time is mm-hmm. a more mundane, uh, you know, sales situation is. You know, you talk about moving value to the top of the conversation. So, like a good way to frame it, and, and I think you said something about this once. I was looking at an interview had done is that it's about really focusing on what is it that only you can provide to the buyer. Mm-hmm. This gets back to the thing we talked about—the one thing, right? Is, right. Is if you do a great job of identifying that one thing, it should align to that one thing that only you can provide to them, right? Or are willing to provide to them, right? Like the right. the. The, you know, so one of our examples, so I mentioned as we were chatting before the show that a lot of our clients took their go-to-market strategy back to phase one and really started kind of rebuilding, okay, now during this period of time, who is our buyer now? How has that buying process changed? What what do they really need at this point in order to feel comfortable moving forward? And then the output for a lot of those folks were quote-unquote playbooks. How do we immediately enable 
a sales team that is now fully digital. They're, they're fully inside uh, with a motion that they've never conducted before. And so we immediately started hopping in and just doing free go-to-market workshops. You know, we do, we, it, you know, no, normally on a one-to-one basis, like, Hey, uh, you know, account a, we know mm-hmm. that, that you're struggling with this. Hey, we, we just want to help you retool and restructure that, that go-to-market motion as it pertains to marketing and sales. Um, no strings attached. Like, let's get in there and give them exposure to what is our greatest asset, which is the minds of our consultants that we would normally put behind this long sales process. Uh, maybe they get, you know, involved and provide some value in, the, in that process, but it's still all about getting the engagement. So why don't we just move that to the front of the process and just start consulting with them from day one? And that, you know, it does two things. Number one, it provides immediate value to them and, and builds the brand that we want to be known for regardless. Mm-hmm. And number two, it increases that that conversion rate exponentially because now they see like, wow, I want more of this person's time. You know, how do I get that? Yeah. Um, and, and then you couple that with things like, okay, we know we're we're you know, everyone's got budgetitis right now, and and you know, like we're we're struggling with thing everything being reduced. Like, what is the best way that we can help you both now and into the future? And I think that mindset is is really at the core of of, of hyper value marketing and sales. Yeah, and I, I would add something you know parallel to that or aligned with it is is that and it, to your point about how we sort of lost lost track of this is is what I call speed to value, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like okay, we're speed to outcome, let's right. call it. What can be solved now? Right. right. I mean, yeah, we may have we may have furloughed employees, we may have canceled projects, but we still have some things that are really important that we solve now, mm-hmm. and they may have been part of a bigger you know, transformation project we're looking at, but we need to fix it, fix it now. Right. And so I think for sellers, the real challenge and marketers as well in ABM sense is let's identify these, these smaller things, perhaps more compact, more discrete projects where the customer needs to fix it now. They need to implement it now. And you can recognize, they can recognize their ROI more quickly and get that, again, speed to outcome, yep. which just lock, locks, locks you in. We use that term low-hanging fruit all the time, right? But like, this is... This but is it's, less, it's less obvious in this environment, right? Yeah. yeah. This is critical stuff that, again, like a lot of those blockers got kind of shifted away because people were focused on how do I stay in business? How do I, you know, make make happen what I need to, to keep our doors open or to keep investment dollars flowing. Like these are really critical questions. And I think the, the, the value or the benefit was we were able to strip away a lot of the bureaucracy around that and just run, you know, and do so in a really agile manner. And, and that's where organizational alignment comes into play. And, and the, the orgs that had that in place that could quickly say, we're going to change. How do we do that? Uh, organization wide with our executives aligned and their teams, you know, uh, uh, able to execute on that direction very, very swiftly. Um, that, I mean, th- that was such a, an exciting time in, in the midst of something that was really terrible. Yeah. Well, I wanted to go back to a comment you mentioned about low hanging fruit. Cause I, I wasn't really talking about long, low hanging fruit. And I think this is the, the part where most people miss it is they look at the low-hanging fruit, but that's that's a matter of convenience, right? Sure, sure. What we're finding is, what do they really need? Yeah, what, what are those critical items that we can solve for? And low-hanging fruit is considered to be sort of obvious, right? Sure. This is not going to be obvious necessarily. It's going to take some work. Mm-hmm. But to your point, if you're providing the value up front, if you're having the conversations, 
then you know, then the right way having the conversations, then you're going to uncover what these these really critical needs are. You you have to put some really intentional focus on this and 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 ensure that what is coming out of those discussions is really going to move the needle. Yeah, and this is this is I think it's been sort of the hard part for a lot of companies because so many of the conversations I think are maybe well intended but very superficial. Mm-hmm. And because people are so afraid, I want to. I want to express my empathy, but <laughs> in doing so, I make sure I don't really want to push. And it's right. like it's not a matter of pushing. They want you to ask about. Yeah, we still have these critical needs. We need help, and they don't always volunteer. Customers don't always volunteer those. Well, I, I think that's a great point about like kind of that fake empathy because so many people position that as a sales play, just to get over. The hump of what was going on, then they ran them right through the normal process that they would exactly. they, they would have before, and and that's that's not what we're talking about here whatsoever. So, what does what does the future of work look like for LeadMD? So, I think you know, like a lot of organ, it's interesting. You talk to vendors, like you know, I was talking to my my lawyer the other day. Like this was a really difficult and monumental lift for them, right? Like to, to get people to work from home and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and to try to promote collaboration. They've got security concerns and so on. Fortunately for us, I mean, it, a half an hour after we announced, which is like March 10th or something like that, that, that we were going uh, virtual in response to this, you know, people were up and running at home. Maybe they grabbed an extra monitor on their way out and, you know, or fully up and running, you know, within minutes. For a lot of organizations, that's not the case. But I think the the more the deeper underlying aspect is that just like buyers, our people want the flexibility to to you know be their best self, to work in their best environment, and so on. So we've always been a a, a, a work from home as an option culture, right? Like m- most people will take probably a day a week and, and work from home. We did a big re- return to work su- survey. And the biggest thing that stood out is, you know, I don't, although we have that in place, I don't always feel like I can actually do that. Um, and so I think it's about the license to ensure that we're, we're providing that flexibility when needed, but we're also understanding the, what the value in coming together is actually meant to provide, which is education for other folks and the sharing of stories and just the, the communication of that tribal knowledge and so on. So um, it's definitely more flexible. Uh, and at the same time, I think it has to be more intentional because when we are like, I think a lot of people are right now feeling that, wow, there, it is difficult when you don't have those like in-person huddles where you're, you know, kicking around solutions to a client problem and so on. So um, I think it's just about doing what a lot of people have said that have kind of burnt out and then they look back at it. It's like, I wish it would have been more intentional about the time that I spent at the office. And I, you know, at the same time, I want the flexibility to live my life, to be in an environment where I'm not distracted and so on. So definitely that like flex space. And we've focused a lot at even changing the office to promote that. Um, We are, you know, we were a traditional bullpen environment where everyone's, you know, out in the same space. Mm-hmm. And during this time, we, we've lit up a ton of privacy offices, like we've remodeled the office uh, while everyone was out to provide some of that, like, alone, focused, you know, non-disruptive time uh, as well. So I think it's just a better hybrid. And so are people coming back to the office yet? Or are you still working around? No, no. So, well, we, we, we are starting this next week. We've got, like, five folks that have situations at home to where they've got kids that are there and they 
just are really having a hard time focusing. So we're opening the office back up to a very select number of people um, and ensuring that they're not only six feet apart, they're, you know, 25 feet apart. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Arizona is an absolute hotbed right now. So we're, we're trying to keep everyone separated for as long as possible. And I think September is kind of our, our bookmark at this point, but mm-hmm. that bookmark may move. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a tough thing for so many companies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's changing day by day. And changing day by day. And, and yeah, I mean, at this point, we're talking, you and I are talking 2nd of June, July, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> I've lost track of time like everybody else. <laughs> New quarter. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 heading in the wrong direction. So it's really hard to predict what's, what's going to take place. Yep, yep. So a question for you. This is a more general question. I ask this a lot of my guests now. And, and you understand you come from a marketing background, but you've, you know, CEO, founder, you do a ton of selling. Mm-hmm. Um, so other than, other than learning from experience, how did you learn how to sell? Mm-hmm. And, I, and what I want you to do is I'm going to, you get five possible, you five answers. And they all, <laughs> they all have, they all have to add up to hundred uh-huh. percent. So the answers are coaches, mentors, one, mm-hmm. two is peers, three is customers, Four is self, meaning reading books, listening to podcasts like this wonderful podcast. And mm-hmm. five is you know, some sort of employer-provided training. Mm. So coaches, peers, customers, self-training. Add it up to 100%. Where, where do you think you come out? Yeah, I, I, I would say lowest on that totem pole is certainly employer-provided training. Like I've, I've been through probably three, four, like formal sales training methodologies. And although I think they've got good chunks and elements to them. Like I, I can't say that that's been the predominant influence by far. Like I'll just make the math easy and say like 70% of that comes from, I'll say mentorship because there's, there are some intentional relationships there, mm-hmm. but like observing someone that's really, really good at the profession of sales. And like, I'm, I'm, I'm an echo type person. Like if you show me someone that's doing something really well, like that's the best way I learn. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, definitely most heavily influenced by by folks that were just at the top of their game, that were reading the customer, that were really, you know, asking a ton of questions and and just you know mirroring a lot of that behavior. Certainly, the the, the first and foremost. Okay, so mentorship number one, seventy percent. So you got thirty percent to split among four. Yeah, and then experience, right? Like that was one of the options out there. No, no. Setting aside, no? Your, everybody learns from experience. So this is the specific <laughs> things. So peers, customers, self, or training. Yeah. So I would say customers is definitely next on that line. But you know, customers aren't always as forthright with feedback at the end mm. of one of those engagements. I wish they were more forthright. Honestly, it is a question that that I ask and that we ask as an organization, just in terms of like, all right, you know, can we can we dive in here? Right. And I think there's, you know. For, for whatever reason, there's always a trust element. And if they're not willing to share really, you know, deep insights in that, you know, that's on us. We, we haven't built the, <laughs> yeah. the trust. red flag. It's yeah, a red exactly. flag, by the way. Yeah. So, so, you know, customer feedback is is critical, whether it's just saying yes and, and, and doing some retros and introspection on what went well there. Um, you know, I think that's probably 10 percent. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, tack on to my, my monster 70 percent item there. Um Peers, definitely a good you know factor in that. Like some, uh, I, I love watching even non-sellers, and you know our consultants do a great job of this when they're when they're uh, talking to clients, and we record 
uh, most, if not all of our calls here. Mm -hmm. We get questions like, what do you do with those? Like, we really do pass those around internally, you know, whether it's, you know, you need to listen to this to be on the next call or whether it's just like, hey, I think this is a great example of, of, you know, objection handling or whatever happened in there. Um, You know, a lot of times non-sellers are just an excellent point of, of reference there because, you know, we get into such a habit of quote unquote selling um, but sometimes we we don't approach things from a different angle or just mm-hmm. ask what is a really obvious question. Um, and so the what's my last one? Self, self, and peer and yeah. training. Yeah, yeah, tra- tra- training's yeah, at the yeah, bottom. Like, training's like one percent. Um, I guess I'd put the 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 rest bucketed into self. There, it's just yeah. you, you have to you have to go out and and you know consume things like this and and learn on your own and get as many perspectives as possible. But to that point, like. For me, self is really just a gateway into the mentorship and and you know uh, uh, example based mm-hmm. learning. Because if someone's doing something really well, like I want to reach out and talk to them, and that's the biggest piece of advice I, I give anyone that reaches out to me is like, you, reach out to people. Like they will say yes. I right. very very rarely has anyone said like no. It may be like in a a month gap before someone gets back to you and says like, oh man, I meant to follow up on this and so on. But like very rarely do people say no when you ask them to. Uh, to have a chat and, 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 you know, I'd say just have some really intelligent questions prepared, uh, be intentional there. And I think that can just be such a, a powerful resource. Yeah. Perfect. Well, that's good. I like that answer. I mean, it's your answer. I mean, it's not yeah. that I'm judging the answer. I like that answer, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're going to build up a little database of answers. Cool. So, yeah, it's a one profession that really doesn't have, I mean, like there's so many, you know, Sandler selling and, and challenger sale and so on. Like there's so many formal methodologies out there, but I feel like there, there needs to be like a great database of examples as well. And, and that, that, that's something that the profession could really use. Well, I think we also, we need to understand how we're actually learning. Right. So yeah, we spend $20 billion a year on sales training. Mm-hmm. And if everybody says that contributes, you know, they feel personally it contributes 1%. Um, that's sort yeah. of a problem, right? Why are we spending that twenty billion dollars? So Is that yeah. twenty billion dollars. I had no idea the number was that big. Yeah, in the U.S., that's the yeah. number I'd read online, and and so yeah, my take is is not on your five questions, but on I think we have to ask ourselves as a business: is yeah, are we who's providing the value for that? Yeah. And you know, I can think alternatively is if we think that sellers learn primarily from coaches and mentors, let's say, mm-hmm. then maybe we should be spending you know, the better fraction of that $20 billion training coaches. Yep. So I, I will say that's one thing when I ask other people, like, hey, where did you learn that? Or like, what's been the biggest influence? Everyone always has that one person. Yeah. You know, that they worked under. It's like, oh, yep. that, that guy or gal like blew the doors off everything that they touched and, and they reference that individual. So, yeah, I think that's that's a big uh, reference point for anyone. Yeah. I mean, for me, there were two people in particular, but, but yeah, I mean, they, yep. <laughs> yeah, they influenced me, yeah, throughout my entire career. I always look back on what, what I learned. So, it's powerful. All right, Justin. Well, thank you very much for joining me. Um, Absolutely. How can people connect with you and learn more about LeadMD? Yeah, email is always the best way. Jgray at leadmd.com. Um, pretty active on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm actually forward slash leadmd on LinkedIn uh, and Twitter at Jgray Matter. Perfect. All right, Justin. 
My pleasure. Awesome. We'll do it again. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank Justin Gray for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or view, let us know how we're doing. No, we'd certainly appreciate that as well. And you can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.